Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm a writer, musician, and filmmaker. On this show, we are going to go ahead and discuss horror and read some horror fiction. So sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy the show. Hi, thank you for listening to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Today, we're going to go ahead and finish out my conversation with Ryan Denmark. Ryan Denmark is the director of the movie Hell's Heart. If you haven't seen Hell's Heart, it's a cool horror thriller psychological piece about a guy that might be possessed or he might just be crazy. You don't really know. That's for you to decide. All right. Well, here's the conversation with Ryan. Thank you for listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, anyway, and you know, tangents. No, no, it's yeah. <laughs> tangents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I actually, you know, and and let, let's go on to something more lighthearted. I actually want to talk to you about blush. <laughs> exactly, yeah. okay. So, so yeah, let's we'll talk about a killer we'll, teddy bear. We'll, yeah. Yes, yes. We'll follow up. Uh, we'll follow up a discussion of of all this stuff with with a <laughs> with with plush. So, <laughs> so anyways, what's the inspiration? Why why a killer teddy bear? <laughs> Why Killer Teddy Bear? That's a good thing. You know, I, that idea sprung out of working with Jason Witter, who, uh, who co-wrote, uh, Romeo and Juliet with me and, and of course did Hamlet with you. And, um, you know, Jay and I do horror comedy pretty well together. And, uh, I, we just had this idea, you know, I really have a, a love for puppetry. <laughs> You know, physical effects <laughs> as opposed to CG. As much as I love happy, CG and happy is great. But I love, I love puppetry in films. You know, I probably just, you know, what I grew up on with, with Hence the Dark Crystal and Gremlins and Critters and things like that. And, you know, I, I, we were talking about again, trying to envision low budget ways that we could uh, do this stuff. And so we wanted to do a horror story, sort of a dark story involving stuffed animals. And we had written, Stuffed animal, basically possessed stuffed animals that, you know, come to life and kill you, which isn't, you know, there's Puppet Master and there's, you know, demonic toys and movies like that, um, which is, again, is not necessarily the vibe we were going for, but, but these are the sort of ideas, uh, that we were circling around and we wrote a, a feature length script on it. And we were thinking about doing, okay, so, uh, trying to. So there is a, there is that. a feature length script out there for it. That's what I was going to oh, ask oh, you. Yeah, like, when, when, when are we getting a feature been, on this? This is, there, there's been this is the next Chucky series, man. Yeah. I mean, the, the complicated thing, cause the thing is like with Plush on the short film, if you go to thirdstarfilms.com, you can see the short film there. Um, and the thing with the short film is it involves one, it involves one teddy bear and it's kind of a proof of concept short more than it is anything else. Like the story, okay. the story in, in, in and of itself in the short film has very little to do with the feature length idea. Um, the feature length idea is a much larger idea. There's, instead of just having centered on this one teddy bear, it involves, uh, a, a number of stuffed animals and, uh, and the, so the short film was I we had we basically wanted to do a proof of concept 
short, just to, so we could sit down and figure out, okay, um, even though this is a very simple puppet, what are the challenges in making something like this before we run off into a feature film? Uh, and so that's what we did with the short. And there were a number of challenges, to be sure. Uh, we hardly had any money to do that short film uh, with at the time. So uh, the scope of it's very narrow. But I think the, the, the key thing was, and the short did very well. It played at the Seattle Film Festival as well as all kinds of genre horror film festivals. And just general film festivals played in San Diego and St. Louis and all all over the country uh, did very well. Um, but uh, the thing about a short film, even when it does that well, is you don't really tend to get a lot of press out of it. And yeah, it just yeah. didn't. It didn't. You know, like it didn't. Like the the our our door wasn't getting knocked on by people looking to give us a couple million dollars to do a, a higher budget version of this. So at the moment, the question is, is it a viable, is is the feature-length script producible for a low enough budget that we can just kind of do ourselves with some very eager independent financing? And I I don't have the answer for that specifically yet. I think what we would need above anything else to make that happen is we'd have to find the right partner to do the puppetry side of it, like the actual creature creation and uh, and the puppeteering on the set. Because we had a one, pretty much a one-man band, Andy Linderkamp, who did uh, the, that just did this one puppet. And it was, it was a lot of work just dealing with one puppet, obviously. And this wasn't like, you have sequences in the feature script that involve, you know, five, six puppets, like not necessarily all in the same shot, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just the physical time it takes to, um, you know, when you're making a, a really low budget feature film, you need to be able to shoot a lot of pages per day because the longer, the obviously the longer, the more days you're shooting, your expenses are going, going through the roof. Um, and the, the, it's just, it just takes a lot of time. <laughs> it's just a lot of complications, you know, like the, the actual creation of the things, setting up any given shot, you know, you're always trying to hide puppeteers or, you know, just doing, just being creative with how, with how you're moving the thing around. And it's just, it's just trick after trick after trick that you're having to pull off. Uh, and, you know, we had a, we did basically a three day shoot to pull off this short film. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's complicated. It's just complicated. And so it, it's, that those, these are the, these are the problems. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. Just a, it's a, when you're, when you're looking to mount a feature film, it's just complicated to, to, to do it on a budget. Yeah. Is, no, I imagine. Kind of, I mean, with these kinds of effects. I mean, for, for the short itself, did, did they actually, do you have the puppeteer like, like was his hand in that bear or was he just like moving it around? Like, cause it kind of looks just like a, yeah. like a stuffed bear to me, you know? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, he, he he was generally speaking, yes, he in general did have his hand in the bears. It, it was mainly a hand puppet. Um, okay. You know, I have some ideas if we did it again, how we might uh, how we might do some things a little bit differently. I mean, the thing is about the stuffed animal ideas. It's not like doing something like gremlins where you're you're trying to make something that looks organic, you know, where you're like, yeah. okay, well we need to have a lot of facial articulation. You need to make an oversized an oversized puppet so you can do close ups with more articulation. You need to be able to, you know, like those are the sort of things that you would need to do for something like gremlins. 
in our case, we never really wanted these things to look like anything other than stuffed animals that are just moving around. Um, yeah. So, you know, they have a little expression, little, but it's not, but it's not, uh, but, you know, the concept of the film was to keep that kind of a thing to a minimum. So he generally was moving around like a hand puppet and you're just using context and sound and, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, to kind of convey emotion a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um but then there's a couple other things like you'll see there's a shot in the short film where the bear's dragging a body, um, and you're seeing something you're seeing it move in this full you know, complicated yeah, like full yeah. frame shot. Uh and then yeah. something like that, uh in something like that, yeah, he's got his hand he's got his hand in the puppet and he's moving his legs I think with rods, if I remember correctly, and uh, but what you know, you're basically it's it's a combination of, of putting a green sleeve over his arm and uh, and then comping out, you know, going into After Effects and comping him out of the shot and you know doing it in layers and there's some people in the foreground and they're shot a different layer on green screen. So there's that kind of that kind of thing that uh, that you have to do. But like that one shot, obviously that's probably in screenings that I've been in for plush at film festivals. Like that is the shot that people just howl over. Like they love that shot. And I think it's two things. One, I think it's because it's the one shot in the movie where you really see the bear doing something that you don't completely understand where the puppeteer is, you know, because it's clearly like moving in this full bodied way. Um, but I think it's also just the storytelling of it. It's just a beat in the in the film where, you know, it's just a funny thing to be happening at that moment, even independent of how we pulled it off. But that's part of the joy of I think of a of a film that's using puppets is, it, you know, you're always sort of aware of what you're watching, and then it's just seeing the magic trick of it. You know, there's just a certain joy. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, like it's definitely fun. I was thinking this is kind of like the next the next Chucky, you know, uh, except you know it more more comedy. Like I I think the you know it it, it made me laugh having a, a little stuffed bear kind of taking the place of of you know with Chucky with being kind of the creepy doll <laughs> idea. You know, right. I think this is a I think having yeah. the bear definitely makes it the the you know a good <laughs> sort of comedy uh, <laughs> romp. Yeah, you know? and, and and there's. And there's some emotion. I mean, the the thing that this short has in has in common with the feature film is that there's a real is that you have a human character that that it, it has a real emotional connection to this thing, and you're kind of seeing it through her her eyes at times. And and the you know as opposed to Chucky, which is obviously the 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 creature in Chucky is this horrible thing that nobody loves, <laughs> you know for sure. Like this in our version it's a little bit more complicated than that. And so it's, it's just, yeah, it's a little more, um, the, again, like the emotion, it kind of transcends just being a horror film. Uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, and, and, and can hopefully appeal to, uh, more people who are also just looking for a story about two, two characters, you know, and their relationship to each other. Yeah. Which, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, when I say just a horror film, obviously the best horror films do just that. Um, you know, but I'd say that when I, when I generally, when I talk about plush, I think it's closer to something like, like ideally in the end, it's something closer to gremlins with a little bit more of a, uh, of a horror twist to it, a little bit, 
you know, less a little, a little bit more terrifying than, than Gremlin. Yeah, not not your, yeah. you know, Gremlins. I feel was, you know, I, I was a kid when I saw Gremlins and I loved it. You know, so right. I, I feel it's sort yeah. of sort of a kid show. You know, whereas whereas plush, well, I think the original definitely script for adult. You know? the, original, the original script for Gremlins was incredibly violent and was very much a horror film. You know, the, the, the oh really initial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I think, like, the mother gets her head cut off in it, and, like, you know, there's, like, oh, wow. the dog, and, like, yeah, it's, like, I don't, I don't think there's a good one. I think in, in original, I don't know that there was a gizmo in the original, in the original one. I think it, he just got this thing, and it multiplied, and it turned, in, it turned into a gremlin, and, you know, it, it was, I, I, I don't think there was, like, a gizmo, like, good one in the original script, so he, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, and when, you know, just in the development of the thing, they, they turned it into the, into the family friendly, you know, masterpiece that it is. <laughs> but it's, uh, but yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot uh, more of a B, B horror movie, I think, in its initial concept. Uh, interesting. You know. so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how, how films kind of go through a lot of iterations while, while they're being tweaked and, you know, well, well, yeah, so writers you find come out the script, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, it's I true. You gotta, yeah. And yeah, you I gotta feed the money, like you know. Dante, you know, it's like you. It's so hard to get a to get a movie made in general. There's only so much you you fight for your vision, quote unquote, in this business. Sometimes, like it's particularly, I find the older I get, the more it's it's not a uh <laughs> so much a priority for me for everything to be so incredibly precious you, you kind of get, get a sense of like okay the way this business works is you're lucky to get anything off the ground um and a lot of times you you know if you if you have investors or you know a, a company that's coming in and saying like we're interested in this idea but we need X, Y, or Z from this project because it's just, and it could be for any number of reasons. It could be because of the type type of marketing that they're hoping to do. It could be some sort of industry research. It could just be the kind of company that they want to be or don't want to be. And uh, you have to, you have to kind of respect that and then, and then think about it and say like, okay, well, is there some version of this that I would still be interested in doing? Does it take it out of the realm of, something that I'm comfortable making, you know, for my own creative or ethical reasons. And then, uh, cause there's, there's films that I've made like with Romeo and Juliet. If, if we had gotten approached by somebody to do a version of Romeo and Juliet, but it was like, but they wanted to remake it in ways that I found to be like, you know, you know, like <laughs> objectionable yeah. like, treatment of say like Juliet or somebody like I, I would not have done that. Because there is a oh, point yeah. where it's like it's better to not make a movie and put something out there in the world that you're just completely uncomfortable with. But there's a a vast difference between that and you know to somebody saying like, can the mom not get her head cut off? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. I understand there's an audience out there that wants to see the mom get her head cut off, but it's not the millions and millions and millions of people that we want to watch this movie. And you know, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, that I, you know, we have the same story with Hamlet, the Vampire Slayer. I remember Jason was telling me that someone approached him with a kind of a distribution deal, but they wanted to add a scene where, like, a naked woman was, like, reading the play Hamlet, and then she, like, brutally uh-huh. gets murdered or something, and, and you know, right. Hamlet the Vampire Slayer is, like, 
like kind of like Airplane or Monty Python, and it's sort of just yeah. goofiness. You know what I mean? It's, it's not right. really that heavy. And so, yeah. you know, we had to say no because just someone being brutally murdered and naked reading Hamlet is sort of like, egregious to – so, you know, the the kind of we're just making the kind of a goofy, jokey movie, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, there. that's not that's it's no longer a Jason Witter <laughs> film at that point really. When yes. Yeah. That's not as yeah. not as vibe. Yeah, I I yeah, you know, and I know people that have even like uh you know, there's um uh, uh Clown Camp Massacre that David Valdez directed, uh, which is a got acquired by trauma and it's a it's a very I mean it's it's a very it's definitely a trauma movie. It's definitely um it's definitely in that ballpark of of what they look for. But I remember D- Dave had this amazing poster for it that was based on um you know eighty slasher films and stuff like the things you would see up on the uh, like things you would see at the video store, and it was just gorgeous, gorgeously designed, looked great. Um, but when Troma released it, they didn't use this poster; they created their own art for it, and it's basically just this clown standing over a female clown is basically naked, and he's just got a knife. It's it just looks like makes it look like it's a snuff <laughs> film about clowns. And it's, it just looks kind of nasty and mean spirited in a way that I know the movie is not. But it's just, I, I just the calculus, I guess, of their audience and what they think their audience wants to see. And, and that's what that, that Hamlet story kind of reminds me of. It's just like we just want to see a woman naked and then get mistreated. <laughs> that's what, that's, no, for that's sure. And you know, there there is a, a st- I would say there is a. a staple of, of horror films that, that do, you know, <laughs> that do do that, that, you know, if you think about all the eighties movies that, that basically some, some woman sure. is being chased by, you know, Freddie or whatever, but she comes out of it triumphant at the end. You know what I mean? Like there is definitely right. that genre well, of one film, of them, you know, one of them comes out triumphant at the end. Yeah. Like, but there's, yeah, like, yeah. One like, of them. Yeah. The, yeah. Between the time Jamie Lee Curtis, like, you know, gets, gets away like you've got to go through all of her friends getting getting killed and you know and i yeah, don't yeah. know so, you know i mean this is these are the challenges of like kind of recognizing there's an inherent there's an inherent you know misogyny like built into you know not just the horror genre but all kinds of genres of films you know that like you know we have to kind of navigate and and when you're trying to in, engage when you're trying to engage a film, like if you're going to make a, like say you really love like a slash, you really love slasher films and you want to sit down and write a new, new slasher film or something for you to do. And it's like, how do you respect the conventions of the genre while at the same time trying to, you know, course correct, you know, for, for, you know, what, what is a more productive, you know, modern social construct that you can put this stuff into. And, and, you know, some, you know, some movies have tried to do that, and it's always it's always difficult. You know, it's always oh, difficult. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, like entertainment, it's it's difficult to make entertainment that's not going to offend anyone. Like you can really fall down with sure. that. Like sometimes when I'm writing, I'm thinking like about some scene I'm doing. I'm like, okay, now let me step back and look at this and try to think about this from the a perspective of you know, is this. You know, is this advancing any sort of negative ideas or stereotypes? And, you know, I like, I look even at like Romeo and Juliet and when I look back on it and I think like, okay, is this, 
is the ending of this movie? Is it saying that like, you know, women inherently need to be saved? Is it saying, you know, is it taking her agency away too much? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I think that those are valid criticisms that could mm-hmm. happen. And you kind of look at them and you say like, yeah, probably. But at the same time, you know, would I write that exactly the same way again? Maybe not. But at the same time, it's just, you, you you have to just sort of look at it as like, yeah, maybe that's a, a reflection of a flaw in my thinking at that moment. It doesn't necessarily make the movie like a, an agent of evil or something. Um, for sure, for you know, sure. An, an I mean, instrument of, you know, per- perpetuating something. But it's because, I mean, I think that it, it, any any movie that's not going to offend someone is probably uh, – is probably such a flat line dial tone that it's just not going to uh, have any effect. Yeah, it's, you know? it's not going to have any but, effect on it. Yeah, I mean that's why yeah. when it comes to particularly kind of, in horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it, I mean when it comes to horror and, and stereotypes and and whatnot, I always appreciate Buffy the Vampire Slayer because I think mm-hmm. like Joss Whedon, the creator, you know, he one of the uh, initial premises behind the movie which then of course became the tv series was take that female character that usually ends up getting axed by the by the uh you know whatever killer michael myers or jason or whatever uh Uh and make her the central you know character that sort of kicks all the ass so i think that that's you know his concept behind that was just sort of take that person that would usually be dead in the first 10 minutes of the movie and give her all the power basically and sort of flip that that stereotype on its head so you know i think that's where i kind of see when horror kind of evolves it 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 takes whatever might have been sort of a trope and, and and flips the script a little you know yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's it's i think about that sometimes when i'm hearing you know the 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 press behind Wonder Woman about Wonder Woman being the first you know major female uh, superhero, and it's like I I kind of think really Buffy is the first major female superhero, but uh, <laughs> but it, it's uh, but at the same time you know that's a good example to bring up because like Jock Whedon is somebody who's also not uh not immune to criticisms when it comes to people. Like if you just go out and Google Joss Whedon's sexist, you'll see an army of people out there who deconstruct Buffy and have a million problems with it. Uh you know, yeah, I think, yeah. You know, and I you know, I it's you know, and I think again, like I think if you look at I think if Whedon were now to right now go back and rewrite certain things about Buffy, there's probably a lot of things he would do the same and there's probably a lot of things that he would do differently. Um but you know, it's like you know, you you look at uh, just the cat casting in any given you know Whedon movie. Like it's, it's there's a lot of empowered female characters, but there's also not you know there's not a lot of characters who don't fit like a certain uh, attitude of of what you know female attractiveness is supposed to be or body types. You know, it's it's like she Whedon definitely has his kind of body type for his for his female protagonist, you know, if you look at you look at Buffy, you look at Elijah Dushku, like you look at uh sure, you know, Summer sure. Blau and Firefly, you know, it's like these kind of you know, small, small women with enormous powers, you know, like it's not uh you know, and I you know, it's I, again though, it's like you can't be you can't be all things to all people. And I, I think that ultimately mm. it all kind of comes back to why, you know, we need more 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 women directing 
and creating more content because I think it will have the effect of both. It'll obviously have some great social impacts. It'll tell different kinds of stories. I think it will influence the kinds of stories that even men start telling because it's all kind of a of a communal conversation that happens in filmmaking. You're all kind of riffing off each other. So it's getting those voices back in will start to break up some of this other stuff and and also just make make it okay that not everything, you know, not everything has to be necessarily looked at as like, because it's a, like it, when you're only getting one voice in anything, it becomes a problem, right? It's like this, these yeah, are the for sure, for movies sure. are because they're all being made by men. Um, yeah, definitely having equal yeah. amounts of male and, and female like directors and every other profession, I think definitely will right. help as far as bringing balance to the the types of movies that we see, you know? Right, because, I mean, even a lot of the things that are, like, supposed to be, like, advancements for women in film, I mean, they're still, like, like you look at, like, the, the Ghostbusters reboot, right? Like, yeah. the, you know, obviously there was a lot, of, a lot around that movie based on the cast, and it was like, oh, you know, it can be okay, like, you know, for this, this sort of female-driven movie, this is going to be a female-driven movie. Well, it, it really wasn't a female-driven movie. I mean, Paul C. was the the heart of that film. I mean, he wrote that film. He directed that film. It was very much through his lens. Uh, you know, so whether you like it or don't like it, it's really, you know, uh, apart from, obviously, the talents involved in, uh, from, from the cast, you, you really have to kind of look at that movie and say, like, this is still just a movie made by a man. It's still like a man's idea of women, you know. And so... And, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with that. It's just the problem is, is it's happening to the exclusion of everything else right now, and and that's that's the point. Yeah, no, no. I was I I was watching a, a documentary about the the woman who directed the first uh, Twilight movie, and uh, it was interesting. She I'm was sorry, saying the in the Twilight, the first Twilight movie. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I forget her name, but she she was the one that directed the first Twilight. I remember mm-hmm. I saw an interview with her talking about how uh, she was sort of given the movie with the expectation that it wasn't going to do very good. She wasn't given that big of a budget. Uh, right. You know, it was just sort of, yo, yeah, here, you could, you could do this, you know? And then, uh, of course, it was a really big hit movie, and, and, you know, several others came after it, and they... They uh, took her immediately off as the director for the future installments, even though she really wanted to do the future ones, and then put yeah. all guys sort of as, as the directors of the the ones, yeah. you know, later on. So yeah. I, you know, yeah, I felt there was kind of yeah, that, I, could, that was, I could see where she's definitely Park coming from, yeah. you know. Yeah, she she had directed that movie thirteen, um, like like before that, which I think is kind of what you know that you know this movie is kind of an angsty movie about you know young girls coming of age, which is obviously what Twilight is. And I mean, I think the problem yeah, is I don't yeah. know much about the production on Twilight, but I mean, you can kind of look at these these like the, the people that get hired to do um, to direct tentpole movies in general, like they're not. And again, this has nothing to do about Catherine Hardwick. I have no idea how Twilight went down, um, or how much control she had over it. But the, yeah, uh, yeah. but like these days, like when you're looking at these tentpole films, like you can't look at these directors like they're they're not directing these movies in the same way uh, that uh, that 
that, you know, they may be directing like an independent film or something like these, like, like any Marvel movie is essentially, uh, that's Kevin Feige. Like he's in control of the Marvel franchise. Uh, you know, you have Captain Kennedy's doing, who's, um, you know, really in control of Star Wars. You know, it's, these people are, uh, you know, they have influence on the films, but it's like, you can't, even if you look at Avengers or something, like, it's not a Joss, that's not a Joss Whedon film in the same way that Serenity is. You know, it's not, a, like, a completely a creature of his imagination. Like, there's a lot of, of restrictions being put on those people. And I, I, I think sometimes it just has to do with, like, are you, are you playing, I was like, are you playing nice from the executive's point of view? Like, are you getting, getting them what they want? Or are you pushing oh, okay, too hard okay. for your own vision? And I'm like, I don't know how things went down for her on Twilight or why she, why they didn't bring her back, but it, it could be that, you know, she had a very specific sense of what it is that she wanted and it conflicted with them and she just didn't, you know, didn't, uh, didn't, didn't bend enough and maybe rightly so. Okay. You know, I, you know, so there could be another another flip side to the story of why exactly her. You never her know. You just you never know. know what goes into a film. You know, like sometimes I hear yeah, people say, yeah. like, "Oh, this thing's not directed very well, or this actor's not very good here, or this isn't edited very well, or something." But the thing is, is that you have to realize it's almost impossible to look at any movie and and say, "Well, that's good and that's bad, and here's why," because it's there's. You know, screenwriters, like when they finish their screenplay, like I've worked on movies before where the script has just been, um, this has been awful. You know, it's just like, it's just completely didn't make a lick of sense. One scene yeah, didn't feed yeah. into another. You could not follow it. And then you mix it around, maybe shoot one new scene and suddenly it's perfect. And, uh, and you know, it's great. This is wonderful. And then people go and they say, isn't that screenplay great? And it's like, no, not, it wasn't great actually. But, <laughs> like the, but, yeah, yeah. but, and you know, and sometimes the opposite is true. You might have a great screenplay that gets screwed up in the edit. You might have performance, like, you know, any, any actor's performance can get, you know, uh, can get improved or, or slaughtered by the editing, you know, and, and, and that's not to say like sometimes it's the, and sometimes that could have a lot to do with the editor. Sometimes it may be directors or producers or studio executives that are forcing the editor to make cuts that he or she would not want to make. Like there's, like if you look at any, any movie I've ever edited, uh, there's at least, I could sit down with you and at least point out two or three cuts in most movies, two or three cuts that, in a million years, I never would have done if somebody hadn't made me do it. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, for sure, you, for sure. You, you know, and yeah. you just don't know what those things are. And sometimes that's that. Sometimes it's the director that wants you to do something, and sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's an executive, and and you have yeah. to pick your battles when you're a director. And uh, so much yeah. of it, so much of it's negotiating. That I mean, well, I it could just that, be anything. Like when you when somebody doesn't get asked, that could be a personality conflict with somebody that's yeah. you know, an executive or something on the project. You just really not, you have no no idea. It could have every, and it could and it could be this. You know, she, maybe she was a nightmare for some people to work with, or maybe those people are just so incredibly unreasonable that they just need somebody who is more malleable. You know. Yeah, we don't we can, don't know. I mean. I think yeah. this is why I, I, you know, for these reasons is why I kind of move myself from, from writing screenplays to writing books because, uh, for books, mm. I'm sort of, you know, I, I control a hundred percent sink or swim. You know what I mean? Like, right. like I, it, it, the success or failure of the project relies solely upon myself. 
Uh, you yeah. know, and where was a, with a movie, like the success or failure of a movie, just there's so many people that have to come together and be really talented in order to, to make that successful. You know, you have to have great actors and good writers and great editors and good directors, you know, like, like so many uh-huh. people have to sort of come together in a really great way to, to make a movie. And that's, that's, that's tough. So I, uh, I, I, you know, applaud you for, for going that, that route, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the, <laughs> the thing that I'm envious about when I see somebody write a novel also is that like when you finish a screenplay as hard as it is to do, um, the, it's really just, it, it, it's not the end product of anything. And like, you know, you can, you can sit down and craft a, a book and feel a sense of pride and completion and put it out into the world. And it, it doesn't like, you know, even on the ultra low budget and like, you didn't, you don't have to spend like, you know, 50 grand or a hundred grand or something that, you know, of money to like, to, to just to get this thing to be, something people can watch, you know, to express your art. Like you're, you, you can just put it, you can put it out yourself these days and, and, you know, it can be, you can have that feeling of accomplishment uh, for it. At a, you know, not, I'm not saying it's easier to write a novel. I've, I've never written a novel, <laughs> so it's, but it's, uh, but it's certainly easier to go from, it's certain, once the novel is complete, it's, it's certainly easier for it to go out into the world uh, yeah. to send your well, child out into the world been. than it is like when you finish a screenplay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the novel. I would say the big big thing about it is it's all it's all a hundred percent you. You're not. You know, one thing yeah. I remember a lot from making Hamlet is, you know, every one person's working really hard while everyone waits for that one person to complete their job so you can continue filming or something. You know what I mean? Like, like right. it's, it's a lot of waiting. Whereas, like for yeah. for novel, you just have to be constantly working hard on it, or it's just never gonna yeah. gonna happen. So there's more there's more more ownership on you, but there's also you know with with uh, movies, there's just more ownership of everybody, and and you get stuff you wouldn't normally in a novel, like you said, where you have an editor that makes a really good cut or an actor that says a really great line that might have not been in the script or something, yeah. you know. So absolutely, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot yeah, more I, potential I, I, for. Yeah. For that kind of I, stuff. I've seen I've seen films. Sometimes I've gone and seen films in theaters, and I have the thought of like, this film is completely unviable if it doesn't have, you know, Jeff Bridges or somebody in it. You know, what I mean, like it's not like this. This film has no uh, ability to stand on its own. It's like like this. You would never make this as an ultra low budget film with unknown actors. You know, and then there's films yeah, that. Yeah. Then there's films that I see that are terrific projects and they don't do very, they don't do very much. And I think, man, if you would, if this movie just had one person in it that was even moderately recognizable that you could use to get a little bit of press attention, like this movie would do great. But, uh, but that's the thing, right? You know, people complain about Hollywood and like seek, like I've literally heard people in the same in the same conversation like in the same paragraph of a conversation complain about the unoriginality of of Hollywood and sequels and tentpole movies and reboots and everything it's like all oh, they do anymore and then pivot within a couple of sentences to say like yeah I I, I hate it you know I, I hate it so much I don't even go to the movies very often anymore I mean maybe I'll see like Spider-Man or something I see like one or two Marvel movies here that's all I see because all they make are these tentpole movies and sequels. They're like, and it, is, it drives me nuts because there are literal, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies, you know, uh, of quality. Not, I'm not even discounting. I mean, actually, there's thousands of movies made every year. 
unless like discount most of the, you know, like a lot of them isn't something that maybe you wouldn't want to watch, but there are hundreds of really quality films being made that are available on all these various streaming services. And, you know, and they don't have actors that you've heard of and they don't have, uh, you know, they don't have massive marketing campaigns behind them, but they're incredibly original. I mean, those movies are out there. It's just people, you know, as hard as it is for filmmakers to cut through the noise to find an audience to watch our movies, I think it's equally hard for an audience to cut through the noise to figure out what it is that's worth their time to watch. You know, like, how do we make that connection when there's just so much, so much out there? Um, social sure, media, you should sure. be able to do that. But it's the same thing with, like, crowdfunding. Like, crowdfunding was, I, I felt like, was a viable thing for a hot second. But, like, at a certain point when you've got, got the, like, you know, hundredth request for your, from a friend that's making a feature film or something, like, it's just, it just all starts to lose its specialness, you know, and you don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You just don't well, know like what to pay attention to. Yeah, well, it's like we were talking about before, uh, before we actually started the, the official interview where you were, you were telling me about how, it, how Netflix sort of pays by the, by the minute that people watch, you know, that, that, you, you know, someone yeah, Amazon, watching your movie yeah, through yeah. to the end, or Amazon, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah Amazon pays yeah. by how much people watch. And, and I, yeah. you know, I, I find it interesting because that's, you know, how do you get someone to, to watch your movie when there's just dozens of those prime movies, you know, I have prime myself and, and sometimes right. I'm just clicking through, you know, <laughs> and, and how do you stand yeah. out? That's, 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 that's the tough part of it, you know? Well, it's also as a filmmaker, it, it influences, because when you start talking about like Amazon, because Hellheart's available on Amazon, you know, for rental or purchase right now. And we're, and I, what you and I were talking about in the pre-interview is I was, you know, they have their, Amazon also has the option where you can put it on the uh, the service where people can stream it for free if they have a Prime membership. It's basically like their version of Netflix, and and uh, it's monetarily, you know, it it a per view of your movie, you're going to make much less money. But maybe people are willing to watch a more unknown film and take a chance on something if they can just watch it for free. So that's all well and fine. But then the other complication to this is as a filmmaker, just in terms of the style, you know, I, the way that I think about film and the way that I, when I'm directing something, my image of how people watch these things are theatrical or at the very worst, I'm thinking of somebody watching it on like, you know, a 50 inch plasma screen in the dark in their living room, paying complete attention and running it all the way through, or optimally they're watching it in a theater. And that's kind of how I make directorial decisions. But there's something there's something I remember at Edinburgh. I was, my first year in Edinburgh in '09 when when we were there with Romeo and Juliet. Somebody asked a question then if we made directorial decisions based on the idea that somebody might be watching this on their phone. And that in 2009, that was that seemed like a silly thing to ask in a way that it's not now. Like I yeah. I don't know what the statistics are, but I imagine an enormous amount of content is being watched on a screen no larger than an iPad. It's probably being watched on earbuds, you know, and it's uh you know, you really like Hell's Heart, when you watch it, it's designed to be something you have to sit there and watch. Like it's not like if you're kinda watching it while you're 
doing something at your desk or, you know, you're watching it in 10 minute intervals while you're on the, you know, subway or Yeah, you like, watch you it know, on like, the bus or something. They, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not going to work that way. It's just not, um, like that, I can see how you can do that. Like if I was writing something with more of like a TV sensibility, um, I, you know, if I was making a movie like that or making like a web series or something, like I could see how that could still be effective, but like Hell's Heart's not going to be effective that way. I know that. And like, so you, you really have to start thinking about like, okay, well, what is the, for better or worse, like as an indie filmmaker, like what is my, how is my audience watching movies? Like how is this most likely going to get watched? You know? Um, and like plush even plush was not, shot or edited or put out with the idea even that um you know it it wasn't made like with a sensibility of so like this is going to be like a viral clip it's going to be like four minutes long and it's going to you know like it's a think a 13 minute short film you know it's got takes its time with the score and the intro and the credits and the you know the the setup of the thing and you kind of live in it for a second you know before it like you know gets crazy and, you know. yeah yeah um so it's uh it's just a different way of thinking as you're as you're trying to evolve a filmmaker and, and figure out like how like what kind of decisions are you going to make and i think you have to be you have to be cognizant of, of how people are actually watching movies these days i'm not really sure i i have an answer for that but I, it is something you know overall but it, it is something it, i'm thinking about like with the next short that i'm making I, it's going to probably feel a little different than, than some of my other work hey it's yeah it's something constantly evolving so we're, we're kind of running out of time here on the interview so uh go ahead and just tell me kind of what what's up next and how can people get a hold of your movies uh where can they follow you facebook twitter just anything you uh-huh. would you, you would like to say yeah, um, my, you know, the best thing to do is to head over to my website, thirdstarfilms.com. That's third, third spelled out, thirdstarfilms.com. Uh, and that opens up the portal to pretty much everything else. You'll see my social media handles there for followers on Twitter or Facebook or whatnot. And then it also shows you, uh, trailers for Romeo and Juliet and Hell's Hearts. And, uh, you know, you can follow the links to, uh, Amazon just to, to, to rent either, uh, Romeo or Juliet or Hell's Heart. You can watch Plush on the website there. Uh, and, uh, you know, what's up for me next at the moment? I think it's going to be this short film. <laughs> it's untitled at cool. the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll just see. We're, we're kind of working through the process right now of, Actually, before we got on the phone, I'm sitting here working on the budget for that and, you know, just figuring out, uh, you know, if, if the, if the script is, um, viable, you know, at, at, at the budget we have to do it at. And so, um, that's kind of in the, in the mode right now as I'm doing that as well as, uh, you know, developing the, the feature film that uh, was at the, that was the semifinals, the Nichols Fellowship Flying Objects. And I'm in the rewrite on that at the moment and trying to get that into a place where it could be shot. Um, and, uh, yeah, ever forward. Cool. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We, we really appreciate, uh, you being here. Uh, if you don't mind, just hang on the line one second.
Well, that was my conversation with Ryan Denmark. A very special thank you for him to come out today to uh, go ahead and tell us about what he's doing. Uh, I plan to go ahead and bring out some more filmmakers, novelists, uh, just general people in the horror community. If you happen to be one of those folks, go ahead and reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook, Aaron's Horror Show. You can find me on Twitter, Aaron Horror Show. Or you can find me by sending me an email, Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and have a spectacular week. <laughs> <laughs>